Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. The Bible says that the Word of God is living too. It is living, it is active. It has a pulse, it's real. It's just, just like any other creation by God. He's, it's his very breath. It's his word. When the inanimate human being laid on that ground in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and was just there, completely looking human, completely everything is necessary, except the one thing to give it life, and that was God's spirit. And God breathed into that creature, and that creature became what the scripture says, a nefesh hayah, a living being. And that is what the Word of God is. So, let's stand and say this together. As we choose to rely on His Word, we recite this together, we say this together because we believe God is here, present now. Let's say it. God, I choose to slow my breath and relinquish my worries. I open my hands to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, to my mind, I receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart, I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul, I receive the Father's love for me. I am here to receive what you have for me today. And before you're seated, I want you to hear this. I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. This is the Lord's promise to you. The Lord who loves you says these things to you. Now, this is ultimately with a view towards the eternal future that God has prepared for you in Christ Jesus. This is a view to that, what theologians call the eschaton, that ultimate end of days when the, the new world and new life burst into reality in full force. This is God saying through every war, through every personal problem, through every difficulty, he will sustain you. And Jesus says, even though you die, yet will you live. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine that? Can you see that? Can you feel that? This, this is the word of the Lord for you. God bless you. You can be seated. So what's the secret? Contentment is Christ. There's nothing else. Contentment is not circumstances. Contentment is not circumstances. Contentment is not an arrangement of things. Contentment is not getting the promotion. Contentment is not getting the deal on the house. Contentment is not any of those things. Contentment is Christ, because in Christ you will be sustained, you will be carried, you will be rescued. This is his promise to you. And we recognize in our annual memory verse, and by the way, our annual uh, spiritual discipline is scripture memory. I hope you're taking that to heart. I hope you're picking passages to memorize throughout this year. This is our annual memory verse. Let's say it together as a community. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed 
or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment is Christ. Well-fed or hungry, that's not the only thing Paul is talking about there. Paul is talking about any and every situation in your life. You can, you can experience the contented peace to know that Christ is for you, not against you. This is the reality. Today we're continuing our series on crossing our heart. Well, that didn't change. What happened there? Okay, there we go. Great. Crossing our heart and hoping to live. Because our, the cross is the key to our heart that unlocks hope for that life and life everlasting. And the question is, what are we going to do about that? Many of you experience that, you sense that, you know that. The question is for you, what are you going to do about that? Because Easter is a matter of life and death. Great question, why? Why is that so? It was so great last week. The Ennis family uh, had COVID last week. They couldn't attend service, so they watched online at home. And Cooper, uh, one, one of the young boys in the family, uh, afterwards said, after the sermon, you know, parents grab the kids, make them sit down and watch service, you know. Uh, when he, if he was here, he would have been in youth ministry. He probably would have appreciated that better. But he, he was in service online and watched, and, and he said, I, I, don't, I still don't get it. I don't know why Easter is a matter of life and death. I was so grateful to hear that. Because as a preacher, you often assume that the message is getting across. But I realized that maybe the message really isn't getting across about Easter being a matter of life and death. That can just be sort of numbly intuited and just passed over. But why is Easter a matter of life and death? For Jesus, it was a matter of physical life and death. In fact, Pilate said, do you not know I have the power to condemn you to death or set you free? This was a matter of life and death. For Jesus, physically, a matter of life and death. But beyond that, Jesus said, you would have no power over me if God would not have given it. You have no power over me. I'm the one in charge here, Jesus is saying. He's saying to the authority, you know, the ruling governor, he's saying, you got no power over me. I, I'm actually laying my life down. I, I, I go willingly, joyfully to this, this cross. And in that way, Jesus, it was a matter of life and death, and Jesus laid his life down in death so that the Father would resurrect him to new life and Jesus would turn around and offer you that very same thing. The Bible says for all of those that are in Christ, they experience the resurrection power, the resurrection life of Jesus. And Jesus, as a matter of life and death, he entered death to bring life forward and now offers everyone dead. And remember earlier I said in Genesis 2-7, what makes a human being living? What makes a human being living is the breath of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in them. And Jesus says, I am here now offering you, you human beings that are living without me, I'm offering you life. No longer do you need to carry on as the walking dead. You can be made alive, alive in me, living with me because only in me is life. This is what Easter is all about recognizing that Jesus had to enter death because we were there. 
and ultimately resurrected from the dead coming out of the tomb because he wanted to bring us with him. And anybody that he calls to in that state of living without God, dead, if you will, to the Spirit of God, he calls to you, he calls to me. This is life and death for Jesus, and it's also life and death for you. Why are you, why are you watching today? I'm talking to you online. Why are you watching today? Pro I know why. Because God has you right where you are right now, listening to me right now say these words. Jesus Christ is inviting you to new life. He's inviting you. He's inviting you to move up out of the death of living without Him into the life of living with Him. Why are you here? I want you to know there's life for you today. You say, I have vital signs. No, I'm not talking about that kind of life. I'm talking about life that is the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the meaning that you were always meant to experience. This is Easter as a matter of life and death for Jesus and for all. And the cross is ultimately the key. The cross is the key. As we recognize the cross, we often see it, we, we imagine it in our mind similar to this, as we recognize that the cross looks like this, we have a sense of it, we have a vision of it, this is the cross as we generally experience it. And we have a sense of it being a very religious thing that is partitioned off in many ways, oftentimes because we see it that way. We see it as partitioned off as in we go to Sunday or we go to Easter and we get one of these crosses and we put up the icon in our home and this is a symbol of religion and I'm a Christian. I was born a Christian, you know. But, but here, here's the deal. If you, don't, if you don't turn the cross in the right direction, you'll never recognize that it's actually a key. It's actually a key, and I would say the key is actually to open your heart. It's just a key, a key that God wants to use to open your heart like a tomb and let the real you out, to give you the life that you were always intended to have. It is a key. Easter is a matter of life and death, and the cross is the key. So, how many of you would say here today, and I want an honest representation, you at home too, you can certainly raise your hand at home, and, or you can raise your hand here, but an honest representation, if you're here today and you're seeking and you're wondering, you're thinking about God and somebody invited you and you came out of whatever, guilt or whatever, or just courtesy, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you're here today and you'd say, I have that key, I've taken the cross, I've taken up my cross. God has used it as a key to unlock my heart. Now I live with Christ in me and me in Christ. How many of you would say you've experienced that key to your heart? You say that. Okay. For all of you that have that key on your spiritual key ring, so to speak, you have to answer this question. You have to wonder and ask this question. What is evangelism? Evangelism is actually introducing someone to Jesus Christ. Now, many of us would say, well, that's for some people. That's maybe for a Billy Graham, or that's maybe for a Steve Hall. That's for somebody else. That's not, I, I'm not an evangelist. 
Well, what is evangelism? Evangelism is simply introducing someone to Jesus Christ. Evangelism is a matter of life and death. And I would say eternal life and death. Here's an example of evangelism from the Bible. It's a beautiful example in John chapter 1, verse 40. Let's look at this together. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. What is evangelism? Introducing someone to Jesus Christ. And what is happening here? Andrew is bringing Simon to meet Jesus. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Verse 44. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew in Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. This is evangelism. That's pretty easy. I, I, I love the idea that Easter is a matter of life and death. We are all evangelists because we have the key. We know the power of the key to unlock life to us, to give us freedom from the tomb of death without Christ into a life with Christ. And so when we, when we care about someone, we want to introduce them to things that will benefit them. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, I bet you this week you've probably told somebody about something you like. Hey, have you watched that new Netflix series? You know, or hey, have you seen that show? Or uh, just this past week, we went to dinner with a couple from our church, and they said, oh, you should try this kebab place out in Pasadena, and they told us all about it. They were very enthusiastic. They were kebab evangelists. <laughs> kebab evangelists. How many of you have recognized there's a sale at Kohl's? Hey, did you know there's a sale at Kohl's? You're a Kohl's evangelist. You're, you're, you're doing evangelism all the time. It's just simply introducing people to stuff that you think is going to benefit them. Anybody in sales here? You're, you're evangelizing for your company. You're out there doing it. You're, you're trying to recruit people, introduce people to this. I just want to demystify evangelism for you. This is not something difficult or hard or amazing or unbelievable. It's only specially gifted people. No doubt there are some people with a special spiritual gift of evangelism, like a Gavin Fortin or a Sean Sparacco or a Brenda Gonzalez or something like that in our congregation. They definitely have the gift of, of evangelism. However, evangelism is for all of us. And it's as simple as introducing somebody to a kebab to a restaurant, to, to a particular new thing. Evangelism is introducing someone to Jesus Christ. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, he, he even actually doesn't just tell you to do it in the Great Commission. He tells you, now I'm going to give you the power to do it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What are witnesses? Witnesses are evangelists. Telling people about me everywhere. Not telling people about 
you know, good cell phone plan deals or kebabs or really cool sale on shoes, although we do that all the time. He's telling us that the Holy Spirit has actually come upon us to do this thing, to empower all believers in order to be witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Why? Because Easter is a matter of life and death. That's why. Not some Christians, but all Christians are commissioned to tell everyone everywhere about Jesus. In both of those examples in John chapter 1, when they met Jesus, they experienced Jesus, they followed Jesus, they, they came across the key, if you will, which is the person of Christ that unlocked life and all of the promises of God for human life as intended originally, and now they went and found people they cared about and said, please, come see, just come see. And, and th- if you notice, uh, they were asking questions like, Why? What do you mean? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who are you talking about? That seems ridiculous. And I, I don't know. Come and see. That's it. You don't have to have any answers. You don't have to have, you know, you don't need to know the difference between infra and superlapsarianism. I know everybody here does. I know you all know the difference between infra and superlapsarianism. I get that. But you don't have to go there. You can just simply let people know, hey, man, I don't know. Are there aliens? I don't know. Yeah, well, well, well what, about, uh, what about the dinosaurs? Yeah, I don't know. Just come and see. Just come and see. That's all you got. What are you going to, when, when they say, hey, come see the kebabs, come try the kebabs, what do you say? Yeah, but do they use cumin? How much cumin do they use? Are you going to know? You're not going to know. You're just going to say, I don't know, dude, come and try it. That's all you're going to do. This is what we're talking about here. This is not some sort of incredible high-level degree needed for evangelism service. This is just about you going and telling everyone everywhere about Jesus and inviting them to this. This is Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I love this. Let's stop right there. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now that's really cool for Jesus. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. However, we learn later from the Apostle Paul that this very same Jesus lives in us. What has this Jesus been given? This Jesus has been given all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And that Jesus lives in you. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then we recognize Ephesians 4.13. We just read it a few moments ago. I can do all things through Christ. Where is Christ? In you. Living in you. I'm afraid to tell someone about Jesus. The very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you for the purpose of empowering you to be His witness, to be His evangelist. Literally, Jesus Himself is taken up residence by a Spirit in you and is empowering you to do this very thing. You trust Him, you give vent to Him, you give permission to Him, and He will empower you to do this very thing. This is Matthew 28, 18. 19, therefore, because... That who, him who has been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth lives in you. Therefore, 
Because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You might say, oh, well, that must mean priests and pastors. No, it just meant every believer, every follower, every follower. Go, Andrew, Philip, you know, just go, just go and invite people to come and see me. Come and experience me. This is, this is evangelism, introducing people to Jesus. And then verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This is discipleship. Inviting people to become like Jesus. So evangelism is inviting people to come and see Jesus. Once they follow, decide to follow Jesus, then we invite them to be like Jesus. Come and see Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. They follow Jesus, and we invite them to become more like Jesus. This is the whole of the Great Commission. And the breakdown goes like this. Verse 19 is evangelism. Verse 20 is discipleship. These are two sides of the same coin. Billy Graham said in all his crusader time, what he wished the most is, number one, that he, would, that he would have made it harder, but that he would have been able to connect them more deeply to discipleship. It's one thing to get somebody to say, I'll follow Jesus. The second part of that, the necessary next step, because what good is evangelism if you don't have discipleship? Discipleship and evangelism are two parts of the same thing. You cannot sever it or separate it. It is, that's the process. You become a Christian, and then you learn to become like Christ. This is the Great Commission, and we are called to both evangelize and disciple. Easter is a matter of life and death. The Great Commandment of loving God, Matthew 22, we've talked about that forever. It is, in fact, our very mission, our very purpose of why we exist, is followed by the Great Commission, Matthew 28, which amounts to loving others enough to share the love of God with them. Loving others and not. That is so important. You've got to see that. To loving others enough to share the love of God with them. Ask yourself that question. Do I love anyone enough to share the love of God with them? Now let's take a moment and do a little experiment. Imagine you have the cure for Somebody shout something out. Cancer. All right. And you're sitting with someone who just told me a few minutes ago, there's a, there's a girl named Barbara, a friend of a colleague of, of Tim Pilachowski's, just told me, please pray for Barbara. She's being moved into hospice because she has cancer. So if Tim had the cure for cancer, and he just said, isn't that terrible? Let's pray for her. But he never happened to mention that he had the cure for cancer? How would you feel about Tim? <laughs> Probably uh, pretty ticked off there. What, what else? You have the cure for? I can't spell that. How <laughs> can I spell that? That was mean. Anybody got anything else? What? I can't spell diabetes either. <laughs> I like that. I can smell this. I can smell that. Thank you very much for your compassion. So yes, I mean, my goodness, here we are in this situation. We have this pandemic. And, and so if somebody out there 
has the cure for COVID. And they're like, nah, man, I'm making too much money. Making too much money, man, on tests and all kinds of other stuff. Treatments, uh, no way, I'm not telling anybody. That's, would you feel pretty bad about that? You would be pretty ticked off about that. If somebody actually had the cure to eradicate the virus and it never ever come back again and they never ever said anything about it, you'd probably be a little ticked off if they, if they didn't say anything. This is an amazing statement from what self-declared atheist Penn Jillette from illusionist duo Penn and Teller. He says this, if you're a Christian who believes that there is a heaven or a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting into heaven and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? This is an atheist just simply from the outside observing, hearing the gospel message, and wondering these two things. Look at these two words. Oh my goodness. How, how much do you have to hate someone? And he's not even asking if you love someone, tell them. He's saying how much do you, the absence of evangelism is the presence in his mind of hate. The presence of love is the activation of the power of the Holy Spirit within a Christian to be a witness for Jesus as he said he wanted us to do, as he called us to do, as he commissioned us to do. And Penn would say, for any Christian who's got that kind of commission and doesn't do it, Lord have mercy, there's a lot of hate in that person's heart. It'd be like having the cure for cancer or COVID and never doing anything about it. My goodness. Evangelism is caring about someone enough to introduce them to an eternal benefit. I would have been pretty upset uh, with these friends I went to dinner with the other day because we, my wife and I told them that we love like Afghan food, Lebanese food, all that kind of stuff. And if they would have just said, oh, really? Yeah, we love trying kebab places, and we just, we go around, and we actually look at and search it out, and we wonder if we could find it, you know, a better kebab than what we found already. And, and if they just said, oh, really? That's interesting. Oh. And they never would have told us. And then later on, we would have seen them in church and said, hey, we found a new kebab place. And we told them about it, and they said, yeah, well, sure, we knew about that. I am not so sure we'd be friends. I'm just not so sure I would ever go to dinner with them again. I, would, I mean, think about that. Evangelism is caring about someone enough. Not just caring about someone, but caring about them enough to risk socially awkward tension. Because you know you're not supposed to talk about religion. Isn't that a great trick of the devil? You're not supposed to talk about politics or religion. I get, let's drop politics. Let's just go to religion. You're not supposed to talk about religion because it makes it socially awkward. Do you love someone enough? Do you care about someone enough to introduce them to an eternal benefit? This is an amazing statement from C.S. Lewis. In all your life, no matter how long you've lived, you have never met a mere 
mortal. Now think about that. Every single human being is created to live forever. That's what he's saying. Think about that. Every single person you meet this coming week at your workplace, every person in the cubicle next to you, every person on the bus, every person on the plane, every person uh, that you're driving along 695 with or 295 or whatever is, is actually an eternal being. You, your children, your neighbor, your, the postal service worker, the checkout clerk at the grocery store, every single person you meet this week is an eternal being. They will never die. The question isn't, is there more mortal and immortal? Everyone is immortal. Everyone is going to live forever. The question is, where and with whom are they going to live forever? Christianity basically understands heaven to be in the presence of God. It understands hell to be the absence of the presence of God. This is what C.S. Lewis is saying. This is what Penn was saying. That if you care enough about someone, would you share with them that they are eternal and they will live forever? It just depends. The question is where? Heaven or hell? And with whom? with or without God. They can begin living in part in heaven right now in relationship with God, in communion with God, right now. They can be, be saved, if you will. They can be called out of the tomb of hell, which is death, which is the absence of God. Jesus said, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And ultimately died and in the tomb. And then from the tomb coming into the full presence of God. In order to be able to say to you, you have the same message. You've experienced this life. The question is, everyone's going to live forever. The question is, where and with whom are they going to live forever? Do you love anyone enough to tell them about Easter? There's a share card in the lobby and also in the other lobby where the desserts are, and you can take a bunch of these cards and you can be a witness for Jesus. You can care enough this week to take a picture of it, send it to somebody in Germany and say, hey, watch online. Easter is a matter of eternal life and death for your friends and for your family. I love C.S. Lewis also in this point, this respect, Knowing all of this, he says, I have two soul lists. One list for those I pray would follow Jesus and another list of praise, praises for those who have. I, I have a similar list, two lists, and I think about the people on those lists. Who are the people on those lists? Sadly, I've got a pretty short praise list and a pretty long prayer list. I want to see that change. And I'm asking God to use me to be a witness, to be a light in darkness, to take up my cross and to say to others, here's the key. Here's the key. Because I love you. I love you enough to 
tell you about the key to eternal life with God that will save you from eternal death without God. I love you that much. So, I offer this to you. I offer to you the opportunity to text, to Facebook message, to Instagram, whatever. I don't even know what it's called. To let somebody know. Hey, let's say, Joe, because I can spell Joe. <laughs> you might say, okay, um, hey, Sue. Is, is it not that easy? Seriously, it's just that easy. Just text it. Just go to Facebook, just type it, shoot an email off to someone and just invite someone to join you at church. You can be here, they can be on Australia. They can join you in church. You know, there's never been such a reality as it is right now. You can say, well, well they live in Georgia or they live in Montana or whatever. You know, and you can say, it doesn't matter. Join me in church. We'll talk about it afterwards. That's all you got to do. Somebody at your workplace, somebody, hey, we got an Easter egg scramble for kids this week. You know, you want to come? You can change this up, edit this, whatever you need to do. You're just, you're just plugging in someone's name that you care enough about to let them know that Easter is a matter of life and death. So what we see here is the recognition that the cross is the key to unlock the heart that gives hope to live. The cross unlocks the heart that brings hope to live. Not stay dead or die, but to live. To live eternally with God. Before we move into spiritual response, I want to invite you to pray with me for peace. Uh, we are being, you are, I am, being traumatized every day. All, if you want to be traumatized, all you got to do is turn the news on. Here's what's happening. Some of you, like me, are becoming numb to it. We're just sort of rolling on to other things. And that's our coping mechanism because we can't quite take it anymore. It's really true. I'm just saying to you that we as believers and Christians need to trust the sovereignty and providence of God. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know why, what's going on. I don't know the outcome of it. All I know is that we believe in a God who is a Romans 8.28 God. That he is working all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Not only in your little world, but in the world at large. There's no trusting Joe Biden to figure this out. There is no trusting uh, Boris Johnson to figure this out. There is no trusting any other political leader. There is no trusting any oligarch to intervene. There is only trusting the sovereign and provident God of the universe, the only living God who's got the whole world in his hands. 
And so all we do is resign our place and say, Lord, have mercy. Let's pray. God of all the world, we are pained by war in the Ukraine. Your word tells us that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. We feel that now. Our hearts are heavy with the sights and sounds of war. We beg you to turn the hearts of those bent on war toward peace. We ask for unity around the world against this war. Use us here to pray and work for peace there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, have mercy.